0: When I first decided to launch the Essentialism podcast, I asked you, the essentialist community, what kind of episodes you wanted. And the majority of you asked for interviews where I showed how people in ordinary situations can really apply essentialism. So here is the first essential intervention. It's with Emily Stewart, a nurse who works for the National Health Service in the United Kingdom, which is to say she is on the front lines of the COVID outbreak. In this conversation, I coach her through a process that may be familiar to some of you from the Essentialism book. We explore, eliminate, and execute. One, we explore what's essential to Emily that she's under-investing in. Two, we identify together what's getting in the way so that she can eliminate those things. And three, we translate these insights into small, actionable steps she can immediately execute. So as you listen to this, if you think of anyone who you'd like to nominate for a future essential intervention, please go to essentialism.com and email me their name and why you think they need an intervention. Enjoy.
1: I'm sorry to be so incredibly late. I've just been a few things. It's just just been one of those evenings. And then it took me ages to truly figure it all out. But anyway, I got there in the end, but I'm so sorry that it's so late.
0: No, it's late for you. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's early for me. And I, I remember talking with Thomas uh, Friedman, uh, who writes for the New York Times. And he told me that whenever people are late for him, he always begins by saying, thank you for being late. Oh, <laughs> because it's the only time in his day that he gets to pause and think. All
1: right, yeah, true.
0: <laughs> and reflect so you might have you might have done me a favor. <laughs> so, Emily, tell me about you.
1: Right, um, well, currently what I'm doing is desperately trying to get my computer plugged in so it doesn't, it doesn't run out of batteries. <laughs> You're right if I do this in here, Ian? Yes. Thank you. Um, I am living in Bristol in the UK and with my husband, who's just here finishing off tidying up, and my daughter, who's 12. And I'm a district nurse, so I do vis- home visits with people who are mostly elderly and um, do whatever health things they need um, a nurse for. So I work part-time, um, doing that three days a week, back in work tomorrow after a few days off. And um, yeah, that's a kind of brief synopsis. And I also run a business that doesn't have much to do with nursing. It's about education for girls about periods and parents on supporting girls through periods. So that's separate to the nursing, but I haven't had really any time to do that over the last... Uh, Since March, I haven't been doing much of that.
0: Mm. And of course, since March is birth of COVID. So tell me how your life is different before and after.
1: Well, it's different in good ways and in more challenging ways. My job, my nursing job has taken over my life a lot more in that it's taken a lot of energy and brain power and I think energy mostly. And so where in the past I managed to run my other business alongside it and it was hard, but I was working really, really hard. I just, as soon as this happened, I just had to drop everything else and focus on having the energy I needed to get through my nursing work because it was so uncertain in the beginning and there was so much fear around and so many um, worries about what it would be like for us and our patients and a lot of that hasn't come to pass where I particularly work at the moment yet but we're we're always on tenterhooks wondering if it's going to hit any point so i guess that's been the major changes that my work our work process have changed hugely our way of working in a team has been really affected so that's been really hard
0: what were you worried about having happen
1: um we were told to expect to have large numbers of people discharged from home to die at home of covid uh, which was projected Mm -hmm. to be a very unpleasant experience so we were being prepared well not really prepared we were just told this is what you'll be doing you'll be going out and giving these injections and you'll be back to back and yeah the picture that, that was painted to us with the expectations of there being a great need was really frightening at the time because we do a lot of palliative care in my job we do a lot of caring for the dying but we don't do it back to back all day and there's you know concerns around our personal protection and the PPE were being, we were being given, we were being told it was sufficient, but actually, I don't think anyone really believed that it was. But, you know, the message from on high was always, yes, this is absolutely fine. This is all you need. But when I was thinking, if I'm in the house of somebody who's coughing and dying of COVID, I don't feel like I'll be protected in what you've given me. But then that hasn't come to pass. So there was a lot Mm -hmm. of fear and a lot of uncertainty and a lot of, and all our usual team support structures fell apart because we couldn't gather together as a team anymore. And so, yeah, it was it was really challenging in the beginning. Things have kind of leveled out, but still we can't meet as a team. So still the team Morales is suffering from it.
0: Whenever there is change, there is fear.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: But yeah. in this case, there was so much change, so much expected change, so much uncertainty about what it would be like, how sudden that change would be, that the level of fear was off the charts.
1: It really was. Yeah. And and just in our particular situation in this particular town, uh, we also went through a company, not takeover, but we changed companies as well, right in the middle of it. So we went from one company to another on the 1st of April. And so there was massive disruption caused through that in the middle of it all. So it was sort of doubly challenging at that time
0: because you've already got the normal kinds of change that could happen inside of an organization that alone creates this type of fear I'm not oh, sure how mm-hmm. this is going to affect me not yeah, sure absolutely you're yeah. always going to be hijacked by that but then all the time there is this ever-present fear of covid
1: yeah. And lots of members of staff who either were very vulnerable themselves or were, who were shielding people at home who were very, very vulnerable. And of course, our entire caseload is very vulnerable people as well. So, and thinking about our own families and what we were bringing home to them and the the process we have to go through in terms of preparing ourselves to get into work and then cleansing everything off when we get back from work. And yeah, it's, 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 a, it's been a huge change. And I mean, I'm hugely grateful that I'm not in ICU, you know, actually doing that work which seems incredibly hard but at the same time it's also highlighted a lot of the work that we do which is similar to that just looking after people dying isn't a privilege and an honor but it's also really hard it's emotionally hard
0: well the word that you've used in a variety of settings just there is vulnerable
1: yeah yeah
0: vulnerable for the people that you're coming home to what's the risk to them yeah vulnerable because even in a normal day's work, when you're dealing with end of life care, that's already vulnerable for the people you're serving, for you to have the compassion and the presence to be able to do that well. Uh, Plus just the vulnerability of the team when everybody's raw. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, very much so.
0: Let me ask you this. Given the environment that you've been in, What is something that is essential to you that you're under-investing in? First thought. Um, My family. Hmm. Tell me more.
1: I feel like I would like to have more energy for them, and my energy levels have been really low throughout this period. I have prioritized some of the things I do for myself, mostly being outside. I've I've had to prioritize going outside as often as as I can in the week.
0: It's a coping mechanism.
1: Yeah, absolutely. As a way of getting through it. So I have an allotment place here to grow vegetables and I've been um, spending time there. So I've been doing that for myself, which has been great. Mm. But in terms of the feeling like I could be really fully present and spend time with my daughter and um, have the energy to, you know, have fun and, things like that. That's was easier in the earlier days because we were kind of all in crisis mode. And so we were kind of thrown together and that was we were kind of going out walks together and things like that, which felt really good. But as this has gone on over time, sort of that grinding feeling of it, is, I've got this sense of feeling a bit ground down by it. And it feels essential to me that I have the energy for the people closest to me that I love. And that has felt the hardest. I mean, lots of other things as well. But then also this period of time has forced me to just push all that to the side. So that's why I asked that question in the first place of like, how do I decide what's essential when this is going on? Because um, at the time I was thinking I should still be doing this, 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 this and this and this. But I've had to let so much of it go.
0: Yes. And you're describing an interesting two phase part of this Uh, COVID experience, which I think a lot of people can relate to. When it first arrived, it was a bit like maybe the blitzing of London where people are down in the underground together. We weren't alive for that, of course, but Mm -hmm. one could imagine Mm. how harrowing that experience is. But nevertheless, you're there. You're grateful that you're safe. You have an experience together with other people, You know, you are wanting to get through this in a unified way. So there's something of the desperation of it, something of the unity of it, that at least you're having a common experience, not just with everybody around you, but with your daughter, with your husband, you're going, we are in this.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: That's phase one. It's challenging for its own set of reasons. But phase two... You know, doesn't have the same level of adrenaline, No. but now you're trying to deal with it at a time when you are a bit depleted, probably, mm-hmm. physically and emotionally and so on. Does that sound right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
0: And what you want is what? What would success look like if, you know, I don't mean what's perfect in this area you've just identified, but what would you need to be doing that you would say, look, I feel good about it not perfect but I feel good I'm not under investing anymore
1: I think it's almost more about a feeling before that or a feeling around it which would be that the time I was spending with my family felt like time I really wanted to be there I wanted to be doing that and it didn't feel like I was a strain if you know what I mean I'm very good at making myself do things even when I'm tired or you know I'm very good at pushing myself to do the things I feel are important but I think what good would look or feel like would be feeling like I had that to give, you know, that I love this phrase, giving from your saucer, not your cup, I, the feeling of having love to give from my saucer and it not being sort of used up at work or used up in the, the all of that side of things. And, and it's, I mean, I, I do spend lots of time with my family and do that, but That's interesting because when you ask that question, I wouldn't necessarily have thought that that would have come out of my mouth. But Mm. Yeah, and I think it's about the feeling behind it is that I can spend time with them. But the feeling of spending time with them because I'm really wanting, that's feeling really good and I feel like I've got it to give, that's the feeling I would
0: want. Mm. But there it is. Yes, you're saying, I think, that you're spending the time that you want. It's not that you would necessarily increase the minutes and hours But it's that when you're with them, you're fully present.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: And that you have the energy to show up to them as a full person.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Instead of when the moment comes to give the love from the saucer, to use that phrase, you go, oh, it's empty. I'm here. You're here. but, But I'm empty now. Yeah. And I don't have what I wish I had to give you. Mm -hmm. Is the emptiness a result of just being worn down over time? You know that drip by drip, you have less and less left at the end of the day. Is that the experience that you're having?
1: I think so. I've I've never been that great with my time boundary keeping with my work. Uh, It tends to spill over into my Home life because I think it's Mm. tricky working part time when I'm know I'm not going to be there for a few days. I know I have to tie up loose ends. I was out of nursing for many years. I just came back into it two years ago. I'm having to learn a new way of being in this job, which is uh, much more looking at what I can do and delaying what I can't do that doesn't have to be done that day. So in terms of prioritizing in my daily work life, that's a new skill I'm I'm about to have to start learning because. I've struggled because I end up staying late. So this week in particular is challenging because on Monday I broke my golden rule, didn't take a lunch break, worked all the way through and then had to work a good hour and a half after work finished. And I came away at the end of the day thinking, I haven't been outside, I haven't had a lunch break. The only way I could get everything that was on my plate done was by like obliterating everything else. So of course, by the end of the day, I was just miserable, I was exhausted and I'm still, you know, three days later just picking myself up from that. Giving too much when I'm there and not actually probably not looking at what's essential in the day, actually, in my nursing job is probably what would be really useful.:
0: You said something interesting to me. You said, when I'm ever come back this time, I am having to learn a new skill. Why do you need to learn it this time versus before?
1: The NHS is a different organization to what it was nearly fifteen years ago. It's um, there are many nursing vacancies now and the case load of patients I'm looking after now is is just wildly different to what it used to be. We do a lot more for people at home, like a wild way from what we used to do 15 years ago. And the job used to be a lot slower. And the skill mix was very different and it was a, you had the time and the space, even on busy times, to look very holistically at a patient, which is why we go into nursing in the first place. You could do the job, you went into the job to do, you know, to look at the patient as a whole person and look at how you can help them thrive in their own home. Whereas just down to logistics of staffing levels and need and capacity, it's very hard to do that. Now, I I think you can do it, but you have to do it in a different way. You can't just go in and say, right, okay, what do I need to do today? I'm going to do all of this. You have to go in and go, right, what's essential today? What can I delay till next time I'm in? What can I pass on and delegate? It's just a much more management looking of things, I guess. Just a skill I didn't have to use in the past.
0: Yes, what you're saying is that you could achieve your intent for looking after a whole person, a whole patient, Simply by being there, there was enough buffer built into the day, there was enough time to be able to do that work in a humane way. Yeah. But now, if you just turn up and hope to meet those needs in that holistic, caring, compassionate way, there isn't sufficient time to do it. So you have got to become more selective in order to still achieve the same intent. Yeah. So another thing you said that I thought was interesting was this idea of the super day. Yes. I'm using my own words for it, but where that first day you have so much on the plate, you're just trying to get through so much, and you know you can because you have some time and you have energy and you can make it happen, but somehow forcing that and pushing that through takes up more out of you maybe than was even obvious because you say three days later I'm just recovering now from that one day super push yeah so it's a helpful thing to explore maybe what the full cost is of a forced day
1: yeah that's very true yeah because I don't factor that into it I just think I've got to get this done I'll be fine I'll get through it but you're right I'm not thinking about what the cost is And how that cost is exponentially increasing the more I push.
0: Yes, I think so. Because what it sounds like is that past a certain point, let's call it like the sustainable point.
1: Yeah.
0: Maybe it's like nine till five or something, you know, that there is something Mm -hmm. to that approximate, Mm -hmm. you know, number of hours of work Mm -hmm. that you say, well, if I end here at five, I'm going to be okay. To go home, still have energy. I'm going to be able to cope with tomorrow and so on. It's a sustainable path. But for every hour past that sustainable point, you're using up energy from deep reserves. Yeah. From a cup, you know, from the, from the saucer that has taken some time mm-hmm. to build up. And so, yes, it can be done. I mean, if if the only question is can it physically be done, even can it emotionally be done, the answer is yes. If you look at it just within, you know, with blinders on, as if today exists and nothing else exists. Yeah. But once you start to go past the sustainable point, you're really using up reserves that took a long time to develop.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: It reminds me somehow of mining out oil resources or coal resources. Mm -hmm. They took a long time to build, but they can be burned really quickly.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's a very, very good and close analogy. And to a greater extent, it's what the NHS runs on, that goodwill and um, willingness by thousands of people to burn their coal. So I know I'm not alone.
0: Yeah. That's interesting what you're describing because what I think you're alluding to is the idea that a whole system, a whole, you know, the national health system uh, or, or a whole organization of any kind or even writ large, a whole society could be yeah. living beyond its emotional means. Yeah. So it's surviving, but it's only surviving because people keep on digging deeper into reserves that really they ought to have or would be useful to have for whatever the next challenge or crisis that will inevitably come.
1: Yes, there's a uneasiness. I've experienced it in my team. I haven't really heard anyone talk about it directly, but I think it's there. And I would imagine it's probably the same in nurses across the whole world at the moment, and I'm sure doctors as well, is this feeling of, okay, so that was the first wave. We've got winter coming in this hemisphere of the world. What's next? You know, how can we resource ourselves to get ready for that? Because winter's always really tough, really tough. Loads of people go off sick. You know, we've got loads of extra caseload. Lots of people needing a lot of care. The hospitals are the same. How do we resource ourselves after a year that's already been really hard? That's a, I think that's, again, another anxiety on top.
0: Yes, because under normal circumstances, in the healthcare system, the winter is tougher on your oldest people. They're toughest on the whole population. You can still have crisis points. The you know you can expect that uh, peak period, but now there's the additional burden that uh, that, that that COVID is. Almost certainly going to produce. So there's there's that anxiety. But the thing that I felt like you were really saying was how do you how do you prepare for that? Not just with you know with number of hours or number of people or numbers of nurses. That's clearly one factor, but also this question of well, how can you how could you possibly build reserves, emotional reserves, in order to be able to uh, to call upon them when that spike inevitably comes. It's a question you don't have the answer, but this is a question that's coming out of this conversation.
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And I know I won't be alone in that in my line of work and lots of other lines of work similarly. Hmm.
0: Yes, because it's the opposite of the, the super day you know, this, the super force day where you, that's a spike that takes up all of the resources, but how do you supercharge, right? Tesla has these supercharging stations. How is there a, is there a supercharging solution here that would allow people to, to quickly get their resources back to feel renewed again?
1: Yeah. That's like the Holy grail, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. And how to do that when you're depleted and stressed, because then you get your time off and you just feel jangly and like, oh, it's almost easy being back at work. This is a horrible spiral that you can go into with
0: that. That's a really interesting point. I think lots of people have experienced that in life, that for all the complaining about work and the number of hours of work, actually it's Mm. easier than what's waiting for them at home. Because the relationships at home are the ones that are even more depleted. Yeah. And so as that relationship becomes a bit more um, bit more strained, everything becomes harder there.
1: Yes. Yes. And at least at home, you know your role, you know you're making a difference, especially in a job like mine. You know, you know, you go into someone's house and they're in a mess and you leave and they're feeling better and saying, thank you so much, nurse. And you're like, yes, I did something good. But you come home and as you just described, if that's all going on, and then you've got all of this exhaustion and you're needing to be something for everybody and you just need to rest, but you can't because you need to be something for the people who are around. And it's just, I mean, I don't feel like that all the time, but I do have times that I feel like that. And yeah, it's really, it's really hard.
0: Anna and I, my wife and I met with one of our heroes when we were very first married. He had a, and still has this uh, idyllic marriage, really appears to just have figured this out uh, when it seems like so many people, can be good at lots of things, but don't figure this out. And so we met with him just to say, well, how, what did you do? And Hmm. one of the things he said that has always stayed with us is he said, marriage is easy if you work hard at it and hard if you work easy at it. (laughs) So it's a good barometer because as soon as it starts to feel hard, we say, oh, well, we know why, because we aren't investing in it. We're not working at it, and then of course the the funny thing with the cycle is then when it starts to feel easy, it's easy to then not continue to invest in it because it's working.
1: Yeah, to go. Oh, it's fine. We're on a we're on a good straight. Yeah, yeah.
0: Anna and I think of it like emotional engine oil. Yeah, where you know in the car, it's all everything's going well. You you think oh, I don't need to go. I don't need to check the oil or take it in or top it up. Everything's fine. But as soon as that oil becomes depleted, or even if, of course, it just gets a bit dirty, the oil, Mm -hmm. everything in the engine starts to have greater friction. In fact, the whole Mm -hmm. thing can stop working in quite suddenly, uh, Mm -hmm. all for want of this oil. And so, I mean, I think that's, what you're describing really i think you're saying there's the pattern of my life right now and you don't mean for the last even even for the last year or six months it might even be just recently but the pattern currently is so much is being taken out of me out there that there's less of me to go around when i get with my most important relationships, my family relationships. And so that means I'm even more exhausted by the time I'm going to sleep because it wasn't as satisfying and it was more strained. And so then the pattern then continues the next day. That's what it sounds like you're describing.
1: Yeah, to a greater or lesser extent, yes, depending on the day.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You're saying it isn't always like this, but you can see that pattern sometimes.
1: Yeah, and it's definitely getting more so as our caseload builds back up again and as things get more busy. So, yes, I'm nervous about how the trajectory is looking. It's not looking great.
0: It's it's more like looking forward concern than it is right now. If if, if it was just – if this moment was a blip, okay, it's fine. But if it continued, then, then you really would be even more concerned.
1: Yeah, and, and the likelihood of it continuing is higher than it not.
0: Right. The forces that are making this moment happen are still going to be in place tomorrow and next week. In fact, they're likely to increase over time. Yes. This episode is sponsored by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot. (coughs) Shopify helps you do your thing however you... Cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Yeah, I have a thought for you, which is I spent two weeks one time. I'd been invited to go to a program mm-hmm. at um, Harvard Kennedy School. And there's 50 people who have been invited from all different industries, social entrepreneurs, you know, really a fascinating, mm-hmm. eclectic group of, of leaders, really. And there was the subject matter for the two weeks was, you know, what are the big intractable problems of our time and what could we do about them? And as I listened over the next almost two weeks and participated in the discussions and so on, uh, the simplest idea started to dawn on me. Mm. And it was so simple, in fact, that I thought, if I say this, then I think people might think I'm really naive and I don't know. I was hesitant. And finally, towards the end of the two weeks, I put my hand up and I said what had been coming to me. I said, I, said, I wonder when we've got a prioritization error hmm. going on, like a simple prioritization error. I wonder if we put mm-hmm. more of our energy and resources into helping individuals and families be happy and healthy at home. that We wouldn't solve many of the problems out there that we've just spent the last two weeks talking about. And the group, to my surprise, gave um, an enthusiastic applause. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And I was surprised both in that moment and then afterwards to find that I wasn't the only person in the room who thought this. In fact, everybody thought it. Just no one had said it. Mm -hmm. And out of that came what I now think of as the simplest idea in the world. Mm -hmm. And it's three (laughs) concentric circles. (laughs) On the outside, the outside circle is just everything out there, just all the, the problems out there, all of the challenges out there. And what non-essentialists seem to do is they start there. And so they're trying to solve all those problems. And it's well-intended. It's, it's not a motivational problem.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, but the problem is you can't, ever, you can't ever drain the ocean. You know, you can't ever mm. solve all of those problems.
1: <laughs> it just, I just remember the moment uh, when I was about 15 of thinking, I didn't have the thought in my head, I'm going to solve all those problems. But it's when I was like, that's my path in life. I'm going to, I remember someone mocking me a little bit later. Oh, you want to save the world? I was like, no, I just want to do this and that. I just, I yeah, I just remember the point as a teenager, taking that on. <laughs>
0: yes it's it's equal parts it's equal parts optimism, but also no sense of just how big it all is out there. The second circle in these three concentric circles is relationships, our most important relationships it's family it's the other key relationships in our life, and that's number two and so the non essentialist well intended has so little left of themselves by the time they make it home, by the time they make it to those relationships, that there's not much left of them. Uh, They they can be there physically, but emotionally, just as we've talked about, there's not much emotion left. It's been used up out there. And then the third circle, the inner circle, is to protect the asset. and, And protect the asset. I mean, that's you, right? You're the asset. You're the only person who can make any any other contribution in your life. The only person who can help any of the other people that you care about helping. So you're the asset. So here's the simplest idea is just that non-essentialists go from the outside in and essentialists go from the inside out. Now that's it. That's the shift. So start with protecting the asset, um, making sure... I mean, as you already alluded to, that you're at the allotment, you're taking some time, you're getting outside, uh, you, you know you you are doing certain things to maintain sanity, but beyond that, it's then creating enough buffer and boundaries to be able to invest in your family while you still have you know some of that good, strong emotional um, resource that, that is you so that they're not the last thing uh, in, in the day. And then because you've protected the asset internally, because you've invested in the most important relationships, you actually go into your work out there with a better, sharper, different discerning mindset.
1: That makes sense.
0: So that you end up actually contributing in a higher way. hmm And that's sort of the paradox of getting the order right, is that your actual overall impact out there is greater
2: Mm -hmm.
0: because you go into it, your asset is protected, your relationships are intact, they're supportive of your next actions. They may even have helped you to discern and prioritize. So the order seems to matter. Yeah. Uh, I know we're still talking conceptually, but just your reactions to this.
1: Yeah. I love how, you know, in life, sometimes you have to hear the same thing many times before it sort of starts to sink in. And although I haven't heard this concept described in the way you've just described it, I'm really aware of that, you know, you have to, you know, put your own oxygen mask on before your child's and all the rest. I've been aware of that conceptually for years. As I've never actually got beyond my brain and into the rest of me, you know. And it feels um, so important. I think it's that thing about protecting the assets, such a powerful statement. It's just suddenly it wakes you up and goes, hang on a minute. Yes, what am I doing? It's almost like I've been in a dream all this time. It's starting to filter into my into my thoughts of like, that actually there's ways I could do that. Because my immediate, my practical head's going, well, yeah, that's all very well. But also I've got to work three days a week. And when I'm there, it's all this stuff. But then actually there's this part of me that's going, well, but I don't have to give full cream, full fat to that. If I'm protecting the asset, then actually I have to figure out what I'm, what this asset, asset, is actually able to do in that day, and do that, and not, and not more than that. Like there's ways I can adapt the way I work. It, it is big shift, but
0: yeah, that's really powerful what you just said. Uh, living a dream, and I think that the dream this you're describing is one. When you hear an idea once or twice or even 10 times, each time you hear it, I think it goes a little deeper. So when people say, oh, that's a good reminder, they think they're just remembering what they knew before. But what I think is happening is it goes deeper. And so it gets closer to their heart because it's the journey, not from your intellectual understanding, which we get the first time, but all the way to the feeling of it, where it becomes a part of you. Yeah. So that seems to be the first micro shift. But the second is there's quite a, a difference between the put your oxygen mask on first and then your child, which is totally valid. And I love that metaphor. But there is a difference between that and you are an asset that must be protected. One is like, well, what's the least you need to do to survive? And the other is you matter- you are precious you are of value you deserve not from some crazy sense of selfishness it's got nothing whatsoever to do with that it's actual value
1: yes you're right yes
0: so for all the reasons that you want to be a nurse in the first place to care for somebody why why do you care because you see their worth because you believe that they matter. The whole person, you said a whole person. And, and what I think protect the asset is in this moment is you, Emily are a whole person. Yeah. You yeah. need to be yeah. invested in protected. You know, this, this yeah. idea. And I, I, I mean, I believe it's literally true, right? Like what, infinitely valuable infinite worth now now i don't mean to muddle it by saying this but just i mean look at the world's righteous indignation what's happened what happened to george floyd the whole world saw this yeah this terrible <laughs> injustice this yeah what's violated there But we're all violated because we know his worth as a human. And that's what must be restored. And that's what people are trying to restore into the world. And so just taking that general lesson and applying it now to you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's
0: the re-enthroning, the reawakening of you you matter. You are an asset and organizing life, your life, with that truth in place, unviolated.
1: Unviolated is a very strong and powerful word. That is, um, it's good for me to hear.
0: What's going on in you as you hear this? Is it, yeah, I got it, you know, move on? Or is there something yeah. more substantial going on inside of you?
1: I mean, you know, I'm I, I'm a believer in these, well, my experience over the last few months has been that this whole COVID-19 situation has brought about an uh, opportunity for me to change the way I live my life, which has been an immense gift. I've been so grateful for this time and I'm incredibly lucky to have a job and a home and not be in a lot of the hardships that so many people are through it. So I'm hugely aware of my privilege in that, but it has brought me to a place where I can have this conversation with you today and hear you say that and really feel it landing in me. And like, I see a change in that. Like my, I feel like uh, there's a sort there's of fertile soil in my body for that to land that there hasn't been before to the point where I think that's why that word unviolated feels really important because I know speaking for myself and I'm sure I won't be alone, when you look at the way, you know, we're treating the world and you look at the way so many people are so exhausted, I've often felt like I've sort of, like I've treated myself like I was bonded somehow, you know, like I I had whipping myself to keep on going all the time. And there's all sorts of, there'll be all sorts of reasons of self-belief around that. But this idea of viewing myself as an asset that needs to be cherished and cared for is um one that i just not really ever occurred to me before which is crazy considering my work because like you said i've never i've never made that parallel and yeah. i think it's you making that parallel between meeting my patients in a holistic way and thinking how can i meet this person's needs as much as i can and then looking you know not 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 doing the same for myself i mean actually when you look at it that's completely insane but it's, it's what what we do
0: you're open to it in a different way.
1: I don't know how it's going to happen yet or what it's going to look like,
0: but I I remember there was a YouGov poll right when all of this started that said uh, that only 9% of the population in the UK wanted to go back to how things were before because they've experienced something else. So even at the same time as they're saying, "Well, I don't want this" to go on forever they're saying but the what i've just come from isn't something i'm trying to rush back to
1: no god the thought is abhorrent
0: yeah that's quite a strong word isn't it abhorrent
1: yeah it it really is I, i honestly the thought of going back to how i was over the winter i just can't bear the thought of it I remember the first time I saw, I had the headlines in newspapers a few weeks back I'm talking about, oh, this is going to be opening again, that's going to be opening. I actually cried in the supermarket. I was just like, I can't bear it. I can't, I can't go back to that. And and feeling just the last couple of weeks, so many people I've spoken to have been feeling this increase in pressure and increase in stress. It's so, like, the world is speeding up around us. I feel it in my body, this sense, I'm like, more stressed and feeling more rushed and a bit more urgency coming back and i'm thinking but nothing's changed in my life apart from my job maybe slightly more busy than it was but nothing in my life has changed it must be just the feeling of everybody around us picking back up speed again it's horrible it's horrible
0: that's an interesting idea that that other people's behavior affects and changes the culture so the emotional air we're breathing changes, even if our actual mm. concrete behaviour or life circumstance hasn't changed, we can sense it. We can feel it.
1: I think so. I think so. It's been my experience, and I, I think I might have thought I was just making it up. Had I not spoken to lots of people who were think- who were saying just in the last two weeks, so many people have said, God, I'm feeling really stressed. I haven't felt stressed for ages, but I'm starting to feel really anxious and hurried and in a way that they hadn't for many, many weeks.
0: I've spent the last several years since writing Essentialism, working with people, organisations all over the world, providing counter-programming, while the world is creating a culture of the undisciplined pursuit of more where everyone's busy, not necessarily productive, everyone's feeling stretched to, you know, to the limit, sometimes just beyond it, personally, professionally, at home, at work, where the day is constantly hijacked by other people's agenda, by what's going on. Like that's non-essentialism. And suddenly, literally, almost actually overnight, the whole world was asked, you know, not unkindly, you know, go to your room. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> Have a good think about that and come out when you're ready. <laughs> and I found just, I was just observing something almost unimaginable, which everyone was, but I was seeing it from a particular point of view, but the whole world involuntarily uh were were, we're essentialist now yeah you must pause you must think you might not want to you're going to you're going to go outside and take a walk because well you're going to there's only so many options and that's one of them uh, the, the 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 advantage of constraint was something that we experienced
1: yeah it was yeah it was quite incredible
0: so we've had this experience of course, the question for all of us is, what will we do with the fertile ground that you are describing? We're open now. What? What? We want to do it differently. Let's do it differently this time. Yeah. But we're not yet sure quite what that means. Most people, I think, listening to this, would say, I, I don't have the words yet. I don't have the system. I just want a little more of the upside of what we've just gone through and not just to go forward in a, in a manic, frenetic, frantic way. So I have another question for you, which is why does making a change matter so much to you?
1: Making a change myself?
0: Yeah. I mean, you've said that you don't know quite how to make it happen. And in a moment, I want to go to that. But just before I do, I want you to try and put into words why it matters to figure this out, to get the order right, to protect the asset so that you can be there for these most important relationships with you know, emotional presence and, and love and compassion for them and then to be able to do... Like, why does it all matter so much to, to figure this out?
1: Well, uh, the first answer that comes to my mind is, is, is quite a fear-based answer, but I um, I found myself in hospital a few years ago with a really horrendous middle ear infection. And when I was lying there in the hospital bed, I remember saying to myself, I have to change or I'll come back. I'll find myself back here mm-hmm. with something much worse. And I, I kind of changed, but then ended up going back exactly to the same old patterns, different job, different you know, choices. But um, same way of being. And so that's always there in the back of my mind. And also because I guess I'm getting older, you know, <laughs> I'm not getting any younger. My child's not getting any younger. She won't be here very much longer. You know, obviously she will be, but like she's she's not going to be here for another 20 years. You know, she's heading towards her teen years. I can see those years, you know, passing very fast. Um, Want to make the most of them. Yes. And... I think I'm just, I just had enough of that way of being. I've just had enough of it. This COVID 19 time has shown me that it's possible not to be like that. It's offered me this gift on a plate to say, look, here's where you just let everything that's not essential go to the wayside to just focus on what's important. This is what life can be like. This is, you know, getting up, making mm-hmm. time, going to the allotment to spend time an hour on the land in the morning. I can do that. I, I never thought that was possible in the past. A I can't bear to go back to how it was. B I'm scared of what will happen if I do. And C I've just had en- I've had enough of it.
0: Yeah, it's as I hear those things come together, I just hear someone saying I'm ready, over ready to find a different path. I've got the the hint of a different path. I'm aware that there is yeah, another path. I've even walked down it under some extreme circumstances, involuntarily maybe, but now I want to figure out how to voluntarily walk mm-hmm. down the essentialist path, right?
1: Yeah, right, exactly, without having to end up in hospital or have a major worldwide pandemic to make me do so.
0: <laughs> right, could Could I walk down this path without the threat <laughs> of complete annihilation?
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's amazing isn't it really that that's what it takes but but there's something very positive in what you're saying it's it's regardless of that being the requirements in the past you are in a place you haven't been before because here you are mm-hmm. ready to move forward there's a saying i love which is you're know, when the student is ready the teacher arrives and Mm. i say that in the same sense with when the student is ready the the truth arrives yeah yeah a bit much now but when the traveler is ready the the way arrives the path arrives
1: yeah it it feels like that lots in lots of ways in life at the moment it feels that way
0: so so this leads to sort of the final area of exploration for me, which is what is the smallest, easiest, most sustainable steps that you could take to start going down this path? I'm talking like smaller than you would generally think, tiny. And we'll know when we're there whether we get there in this conversation or later as you ask these questions and reflect on them because there'll be immediate spark of energy within you. And you, as you, as you say, I can do that. No, really, I can do that. I was just reading a lovely story about two medical practitioners in the room and a woman who is not well in a variety of ways. Um, she's, She's pretty depressed. She's she's overweight. She's uh, and and she's there. I can't remember why. But the first medical practitioner turns to her and says, "You know, look. Okay, there are things you need to do. You need to start exercising." And he goes to say, "You know, you're going to do half an hour a day. You've got to do an hour a day." And the other person, the other practitioner looks at her eyes you know bags under her eyes exhausted depressed and just thinks yes sure mm-hmm. that's probably right but there's no way she's doing that so all you're going to create is guilt for her you're not going to empower her you're not going to help her doesn't matter what your motive is it won't help so this is all going on inside of him and so he he blurts out this he sort of cuts cuts the first off and he says he says listen mm-hmm. Could you take one minute a day yeah. to march in place while watching TV? And uh, eyes light up, right? Because it's that little energy we just talked about. I can do that. I really can do that. I don't have to say I'm going to do something I'm not going to do. I can actually achieve this go without feeling overwhelmed. And so for the next 30 days, she actually does it consistently. When they come back for the next checkup, she looks a little different in her, you know, just in her energy. And she asks the doctor, okay, what's one more thing I can do in one minute a day? Yeah. And that's what I'm really asking for. You know, I don't know that you have the answer or I do, but we should ask the question together What is a change you can make in one minute a day to try and make this path? To walk towards this new way of being,
1: it feels like it's something to do with um, that idea, the shift about protecting the asset. For, for me, that feels like it's got to be key in there somehow in terms of how I um, approach my day. I mean, this is something I've intended to do for years and, well, written down in my list of intentions at the beginning of every year and never really done it. Um, but just to check in with myself in the morning, see how I feel that day.
0: Mm, doing a health check.
1: Yeah, I mean, I do one at the end of the day. Look back on the day and think, how was the day? Where was I at? What was going on? You know, how was my energy and my how I felt? But I think at the beginning of the day, maybe it would help set the tone. If I wake up exhausted, then I can at least have the opportunity. I feel like. I I'm kind of right for then saying okay I'm not going to achieve
0: much today. Yeah, I think I think that's right and I think this is it sounds what I hear when you say it is that it's something meaningful to you first of all. It's something you've wanted to do. You don't do it. I'm reading into the reason that you haven't done it because you think of it being a big thing that you need to to do it in a big way, whereas, for example, one, one micro way to do what you just described would be just every time you wash your hands. <laughs> While you're washing your hands, you say, okay, how am I doing mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, you know, mind, body, heart, spirit. You're just doing a quick, you know, it's a few seconds. We're all supposed to wash our hands better than we used to.
1: She's really edgy for me. You know, I've got some massive to-do list to kind of tick off. And I'm saying to myself, actually, I haven't got the energy for that. But I, that's not what I'm talking about here, is it? It's not what I do with it afterwards. It's just the first thing, which is the the check-in.
0: So maybe that itself is too much. It could be. Maybe it's just the first time that you do it. Or while you're cleaning your teeth in the morning. Maybe Maybe it's more like that. It's just that one time. But... It's just a very micro health scan.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: And one of the things I like about it too for you is that, you know, as a nurse, you understand the role of the health check-in. I mean, that's the first thing you're going to ask beyond just the general, you know, how's your day going? Is well, how are you? How are you feeling? Yeah. Why do we do that? Why is that important? Well, that's our that's our reality. That's our beginning place. We've got to start where somebody is, right? And it makes perfect sense to me that if you do it for you, you're going to be more aware of the current condition of the asset, and so that will be uh, will relate to the decisions of the day.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I do a lot in my job, that's for sure. And I think also going back to your concentric circles, my life is normally lived thinking about, you know, how do I sort all these problems out that are going on around me with my job or whatever. But it's taking it away from the focus on that and back into the asset. Even if I'm not aware of how I would then proceed, it doesn't matter because it's just taking the focus away from what's not essential in that moment. Even though it might seem important, it's not where my focus should be so even if it's just that short moment of focus inward I feel like that would be a really powerful practice
0: I do too and another reason we want it to be within this one minute frame is because we want it to be not one time we want it to be every day and so for something to be every day, yeah. sometimes I'll go to events and I'll have speakers and conferences I go to. And some people say these things hardly with a thought. Well, for every day of your life from now on, do this. And as someone who really take seriously mm. what you say yes to, what you say no to. And, and I'm trying to be designful and thoughtful about what to put into my routine and in my life and what to pick up and what not to. I, I'm amazed at the ease with which these phrases come. Just to add this thing, it'll take, it's easy. It's just 10 minutes a day. And I think, Mm-hmm. 10 minutes a day do you know the do you know the the mathematics on that if you add some 10 minutes a day for the rest <laughs> of my life the, the the requirement you just gave is like it's like, i don't know it's like uh, having don't... a new child you're
1: a... <laughs> <laughs> I know isn't it say that 10 minutes should seem so insurmountably huge <laughs> in a day but it does but,
0: but when you and especially when you add it up when you add up all the days <laughs> Following. And so if we want to add something, it must be tiny. So that we go, yeah, I can do it. So just give me a sense of where and when you would do it. We've talked about the washing of the hands, but that might not be the one for you. So tell me where and when will you do this micro check-in?
1: Well, I could make it very similar to my evening check-in, in that I have a little book and it lives in the bathroom. And so just before I go to bed. I write in it so it could be when I'm in the bathroom in the morning it could be cleaning my teeth or something like that you know whatever I do every and I do clean my teeth every day so it could be that
0: yeah I I love that you've already got a book there you've already got a routine for doing it now you're just building the routine in the morning for Mm -hmm. the check-in at the beginning of the day and then the check-in at night I don't know if if it's a check-in at night or is that what you're doing at night or is it a, a journal, journal entry that you're writing?
1: Yeah, I track my cycle. So I, I just have a day for each day of my cycle and I just write a couple of sentences, very little, but it's just a way of tracking like, oh yeah, that's where I am at the moment. Oh yeah, that's going on. It's just, I, I've been doing it for years and years and years and it's a touchstone of my day. So this would be quite possible to add in, I think, the opposite end of the day.
0: Yes, I wonder whether there's something like, I don't know if this is too much, but maybe it's a score for how you're doing 1 to 10. Or mm-hmm. it's maybe it's in those four areas mm-hmm. and you're just giving yourself a score on each of them 0 to 10. And, it, and the whole thing is a 10-second process, especially if you had rows already drawn or something. And you're just, you're just quickly, ta- touchstone is a perfect word, a little touchstone on each of those four things. And, and the goal isn't mm-hmm. change. The goal isn't design. It's just awareness. I, I was just doing an event today, and after I'd done the, the virtual keynote, we had a and a uh, with a panel and one of the people on the panel ended the whole event by taking two minutes to lead us through a guided meditation, which I happily was part of. I loved that it was literally two minutes, by the way. I thought that was felt so, you know, light and uh, doable. Uh, but then also, as he was doing it, because we'd just been talking about prioritization and protecting the asset, as we're doing this meditation, he added this phrase. He said, You know, as we were getting into this meditative state, he said, and this is where priority prioritization begins. And I loved having that experience and that moment of really connecting the dots. Yes, when you are quiet, when you're pausing for awareness, that is going to be the beginning of prioritization naturally, even without trying to make it so. And I think the same for this, that just being aware. In the awareness, good things Mm -hmm. will come, especially when you add it, you know, five days in a row. And eventually it's 30 days and it's, you know, becomes this norm. So that's it. That's the only thing I would suggest you do differently per the conversation today. There may be other things that come over time, but if you make that one tiny change, it could in my opinion change both the direction and even the tra- trajectory mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of the rest of your life i believe that these little things can add up cumulatively emily it has been a real pleasure just to have a conversation with you today yeah i appreciate so much you taking the time i know it's yeah i do late in england well. and Uh, I appreciate your openness. I appreciate your um, service. Likewise. I appreciate your candor, your awareness, your vulnerability. Uh, I'm sure you've heard the idea that that which is most personal is most universal.
1: (laughs) I haven't heard that phrase before, but yeah, I believe it to be true.
0: (laughs) And I think it will be true in this as well. Uh, In fact, who, who cannot relate to what you've been talking about today. Every, everybody knows these challenges. And and I think that uh, the, the conversation will be useful uh, to many people listening to be able to make their own micro adjustments in protecting the assets so that they can live uh, a more uh, essentialist path by choice.
1: Yeah, by choice.
0: Not just by requirement.
1: By joyful choice. Thank you so much.
0: Emily, it's been a real pleasure.
1: Yeah, a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you sincerely for listening. To hear more great exclusive conversations, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash essentialismpodcast. And if you like this conversation, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app and leave a review and a comment to help other people find us. If you want to join our community, follow us on social media at Gregory McEwen and at Essentialism Podcast. Again, I really am genuinely grateful to you for listening. Uh, Remember, if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will.